You know, we've been talking for years now, for the last few years, about the gospel, the power of the gospel, the point of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of our life. Um, and, and it's not just to find, um, you know, what we see, this, this false kind of contentment, this false joy, this happiness in the life that we see now before us in our culture jobs, families. It's, it's not pursuing happiness, but the reality is it's, it's being in love with our Savior every day and realizing that we struggle with what's going on around us every day and finding uh, joy in the gospel. You know, we've talked about the fact that that's what draws us together as a family, um, I hope you've seen it. I know that others have. Is, is that we've become more and more a family of God rather than just a building and a place to go on Sunday morning. It's a joy to hear as many of you have bypassed me and have found one another in the body to take care of each other. Um, and that's really the, the, the army of God, right? It's not looking to some lieutenant or some commander uh, to save you, but the guy that you're rubbing shoulders with, that you're sharing the gospel with every day of your life uh, together. That's what we are, is we get to share the gospel and the good news of what Jesus has done for all of us every single day. In our text in 2 Corinthians 4, um, we're going to look at specifically verses 13 through 15, but the context is so beautiful, and the fact the whole Second Corinthians is amazing. Um, Paul has affirmed that Christ must be the focus of our lives and ministry, and central to all that we do. The life of Christ, the the purpose of Him coming and living His perfect life as man and as a hundred percent God, to be able to pay for the penalty of our sin. He had flesh and blood to offer as a sacrifice, but as God, he was, he was perfect. He was holy. So he had a perfect life and a, and a perfect offering to offer in the place of our imperfect, unholy, sinful life. You know, Paul was trying to encourage the church in the midst of really hard things, and in fact, Paul was reminding them of all the hard things he had faced and established. I mean, you can think about how do we endure as a church family? We've all enjoyed some of the aspects of the gospel ministry that is now before us. I really encourage you to really think about going and being a part of the 40 days of life. Uh, there are some testimonies in my life that are very personal that I really enjoy it. My, my wife and our kids have stood out there, and they've seen some of the yelling and the honking, and uh, they asked, Dad, why are they waving, you know, with one finger at us? And, you know, and so you got to teach our little kids things that they didn't know. Um, and so, you know, the, the thing is, is it was a blessing to be a part of that. And, and some of the statistics you heard um, in the fact that just that lives are important, whether they are outside the womb or inside the womb, it doesn't matter. Life is important because God created life. He gave us life. Not only the air that we breathe, 
but our salvation of our souls through Jesus Christ, through the gospel. And it's, a, it's an, an amazing ministry. But the statistics are that 90% of people that come to fulfill, to go in and have their appointment at the clinics will walk away because of people standing there. Not even talking, just standing there with a sign. And it's pretty amazing. And the joy that you can have in just praying for those that are there. The fact that they're hurting because they have no gospel. Or they've, they, they've been to church, they know the gospel, and yet they're feeling the weight and the, 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 the strength of sin and, and guilt and shame. And they're struggling with what is really happening and they don't have answers. And if you're just praying and have a smile on your face, you can share those answers. They say that 10% of those, or 90% of those that do not come, 90% then, again, do not go back, period. I was listening to um, a podcast the other day that that's this one church's whole ministry is, is built around keeping all abortion clinics out of Kentucky, um, and they're seeing them not being able to be established. And the pastor said that they had a young lady that came up and said, you know, um, you guys were standing here nine months ago, and I just would not go in. And now I am so thankful for the precious life that I now am carrying outside of the womb. And they thanked them. And, because, and it was an amazing testimony. Life is precious, People are going through hard times. We have people in our midst that are going through hard times. We're praying desperately for God to just do miracles in the life of the Harmon family. And pray, we prayed hard Wednesday. Let them, you know, let Amy into the hospital. If they would just let Amy in, he would have a reason to fight harder. And man, I can tell you the praises as... The next morning, Amy was off and off to Seattle. They said, I can come in. And so she didn't wait. She wouldn't even wait for me to come pray with her. So I just told her, I'm praying right now. I started driving over. It's like, Pastor, I left. And I'm like, oh, man. She was so excited to get down there. And she was able to spend five-plus hours with Ernest. And by the time that she came back, she's here this morning, he was awake for almost the whole time she was there, being able to be more interactive not talking yet but you know if amy has her way he's going to be reading the bible better than me by the time he gets out of there she is very persistent god knew what he was doing when he put them together it's great to see how god takes care of our struggles i know several are dealing with cancer issues there's a lot of heartache there's a lot of hard things but how do we keep this family gospel centered joyful perspective? How do we endure hardship? How do we maintain that motivation for the gospel? It's amazing as we look at this text and, and we look at what Paul is affirming that Christ is the answer, no matter how hard life is. He sought to establish and maintain a, this proper perspective in trials and suffering. He was committed to being a positive witness no matter what was going on, whether he's being attacked. If you look at 
a few chapters later in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he's, he keeps talking about how weak he is and how foolish he is, but how gracious God endured in his life. He says in verse 21, he says, To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. He says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. He said, there are people that are boasting about their life, but I'm always going to speak as a fool in, in connection to the gospel, the good news of what Jesus had done for him and for others in the church. I also dare to boast of that, that he was a fool. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are are they offering uh, offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with the far greater labors, far more imprisonments, far countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one, because many times after 40 lashes, people would die. Five times he received that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked. Man, how many of us can say we were just shipwrecked once, let alone three times? Night and day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toils and hardship throughout Many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Man, he said, you know, all of this suffering, all of the things I've endured for the sake of the gospel, and yet, and the last thing he mentioned it says, and apart from all of that, on top of all of that, I have this daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. He had this deep, deep pressure for the love and well-being of the church family. It's amazing. He loves the church. He loves the gospel. Paul had come under fire. In fact, uh, false teachers in Corinth that were trying to undermine and say that Paul is not an apostle. Paul has no authority in the church. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He's too weak. They pointed to all of his weakness to say that he was unqualified. And in the providence of God, that defense of his biblical ministry provides a, an amazing blueprint for the Christians throughout all the ages who desire to serve the Lord faithfully, to want this gospel ministry to continue for years to come. Second Corinthians is an amazing blueprint of that. To keep these motivations, to be motivated for the gospel, to love the gospel, to love one another, to share the gospel, to be durable, to persevere under an amazing weight of pressure. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at our text. Look at verse 7 that was read to us this morning. How do we maintain a motivation for durable gospel ministry? How do we live with the gospel? How do we continue to, in the gospel? How does the church grow through the gospel? 
Because it's God that's building the church. How do we maintain motivations in the midst of all of these struggles? Look at verse 7. We see a proper outlook on our ability and worth. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. A proper outlook on our ability. These false teachers that were coming in, they were saying, look how we can talk well. We are better looking. This was a Greek culture. The Greek culture was all about the human figure. It was also about human reasoning. It was filled with philosophy. It was a culture of looks and a culture of reasoning and earthly human wisdom. But he said, look at this glorious gospel. Look at this amazing gospel. This amazing gospel, the glory of God. If you go back just one verse, look at verse 6. He said, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The gospel is so amazing, guys. The fact that Jesus, that God would send himself to stand and take the full wrath. Right? To to do that and then to take this amazing news and to give it to us. I mean, think about that perspective. God has entrusted that in in invaluable, amazing, priceless. I mean, you could never pay enough for what the gospel has done for you. This invaluable treasure of the gospel message he has implanted in weak, suffering, perishing men and women like you and me. You ever stopped and wonder, why would he put this amazing treasure in jars of clay. I don't know about you, but I mean, when I was in Israel, I loved digging up these jars of clay. <laughs> they were always broken. I have them on my, on my desk. You see, my, my, my pen holder on my desk is actually uh, an old canteen that they used to stick part of their clothes in the top to keep the water from sloshing out. I found it while digging next to the wall of Jerusalem. It dates back to the time of David. And I have it sitting there holding my pens. <laughs> but I loved it. I, I did a thesis statement on how to date, you know, things by pottery. You know, well, you know one day will somebody date us by our, our wares, right? But here's the thing. Pottery doesn't last. It breaks. It crumbles. Our flesh, our body, the things in our life, They don't last. But the glory of God endures forever, and he's put that in us. That's the proper outlook. We say, well, how do we maintain motivation? How do we stay motivated for the gospel? How do we stay motivated for what God has done for us? We realize that it's not about our ability. It's about God's glory. God gets the glory, not us. That's why he did this. 
was so that way his glory would burn brighter. You see, the false teachers were all about them burning brighter. You know, uh, John Knox and other guys back in those times, there, there was one of them, I can't even remember his name anymore, but uh, just come to my mind, but he says, you want to burn bright for God, light yourself on fire and let every, you know, you will attract a great crowd. <laughs> but people were burning at the stake for the gospel, for God's word. And here you had a bunch of false teachers in the church that were all about their own glory. And it minimized the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 10.10, this is how they described Paul. For they say, Paul talking about the false teachers that were talking about him, they said his letters, that's Paul's letters, are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak. (laughs) Right? And his speech of no account. They're saying, don't give any attention to his words. They don't mean much. They don't account for much. He's not even, his, even his body is nothing to look at. Uh, when I read this, I was like, that gives me a little bit more hope as a pastor. <laughs> if they could say that about Paul, oh, right? <laughs> I don't have to look good or sound good. I just have to preach the gospel. George Whitfield said, you want to be a good preacher? Just preach the gospel. That's all that matters. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. remember Peter, who had all the answers, who was the first one to stand up and say, look at me. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, he changed his tune because of the gospel. He says, clothe yourselves with humility, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace. He fills you with grace in that jar of clay. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So we learn that the authentic follower of Christ is marked by a life of weakness, of indignity, of difficulty. That is our life. This jar, the jar of clay, it's not about being strong because that which is in you is stronger than that which is outside. Why do we try to present ourselves as strong to the world? Because we are not strong. But when we are not strong, the light of the gospel is shown forth. The marketing gurus and the cultural enthusiasts who confuse integrity with personality and true fruitfulness with popularity, they paint the picture of success in ministry as continual mountain peaks of victory And having it all together. Guys, our life is not about having it all together. We we crumble. But you know what the beauty of the gospel in our life as a church is? Is that we crumble and the gospel remakes us into a beautiful vase. And people see that light shining through our cracks and say, Whoa, the gospel is amazing. Verses 8 and 9 after 7, you see that he says, he says, we are in all things afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. But what? Not destroyed. Because we have the gospel. Verse 10, 
we always carry about the body, the dying of Jesus. We who live are consistently being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. Look, this is what Paul is saying. Look what he's saying in verse 12 as he he explains this idea of carrying around the dying of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, carrying around the gospel daily. Look at verse 12. He says, death works in us, but life in you. A proper outlook on our ability and worth. Our worth is in the cross. You say, what is this death works in us, but life in you? This is what he's saying. The death of weakness. He's talking about our weakness, right? Our flesh. Our persecution, our hard things that we deal with every day. He says, the death of weakness and conflict and difficulty and suffering working in, the, in our lives through the gospel. He says, that's what's dying as the daily things of life. Our weaknesses are dying daily. But, that's, I love the but, right? But the spiritual life of the gospel of health and growth and edification and holiness works in the people of God as a result of those labors. The death of our flesh, the weakness, but the life of the gospel is being renewed every day. Let me put it this way. Let me even bring it down a little further. The more we try to emphasize our goodness... Why do we put crumbling jars of clay on a pedestal for everything? <laughs> Why do we say that those are the most amazing thing, right? But the more we try to emphasize our goodness or our good, the less the greatness of the gospel shines through. The glory of God. The less we emphasize our goodness, the more the greatness of God shines through the more the fruit of the spirit love joy peace contentment kindness gentleness all of those things come bursting out because the glory of god shines through so paul says of his life and ministry of the gospel in first corinthians 3 uh, 15 31 he says i die daily Romans 8, 6, uh, 36, he says, For your sake, that is, to say, for the sake of the church, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to the slaughter for the sake of the gospel. This is the ministry that we're called to, the gospel ministry. We are called to die in our weakness daily, to go as sheep to the slaughter, to lay down our lives in a kind of living death so that the body of Christ might glorify and show the power of the gospel more. But he didn't stop there. He says in verse 13, a sincere faith in the gospel motivates a, a forever persevering, durable gospel ministry. Look at verse 13. He says, but having the same spirit of faith. Don't underestimate him having the same faith. The same spirit of faith. The gospel, the gospel that comes 
through the power of the Holy Spirit that makes us alive in Ephesians chapter 2. We have that same spirit. And because we have that same spirit, Paul said, I believe, and so I spoke, and I also believe, we also believe, and so we also speak. What motivates us to have a durable outward gospel ministry? A sincere faith in the gospel. A real faith. I'm not talking about just saying, yeah, yeah, I know that what the gospel is. I know that Jesus died for, on the cross for my sins. I, I've, I've talked to people before, and they, and they said, well, pastor, I know the gospel. We don't need, you know, you don't, we don't need to talk about the gospel. And I, and I say, well, what's the gospel? And they say, well, God loves us. I'm like, man, that is not the gospel. I am a, I'm a sinner. I am weak, and I need the gospel. I am a sinner that needs the gospel. And a sincere faith. Do you believe the gospel? That the gospel is true? That he is, took the whole wrath of God for you? That he loved you enough to die on the cross for your sin? Is that true? The Spirit actually gives you that belief. He empowers that belief. Is it true that that spirit of faith, it's a sincere faith, it's a real faith. What, he, what Paul is talking about here is that, there, that this faith and knowledge of the truth led him to believe. I want you to see this first. He says, since we have the same spirit talking to the church, he realized that we are not alone when we come under persecution and hard times. We are not the only ones who face adversity. The church is made up of individuals who share a common faith and pursue a common goal of the gospel. Durable gospel ministry must have a, a, a Sincere faith. Paul had a trusting faith. He turned to Psalm uh, 116. I don't know if you realize, but Psalm 116, Paul quotes it here. He says, I believe and we believe. And he turned to his mind. His mind was going to Psalm 16, where David writes a song of praise and thanksgiving to God for delivering him from death. In Psalm 116.3, David says, The cords of death encompassed me, and the terror of Sheol, or hell, came upon me, and I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of Yahweh. O Yahweh, I beseech you, save my life. Look at verse 6. He says, And I was brought low, and he saved me. You have rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and so there is much for Paul to relate here. In verse 8, Paul is relating to what David was singing in Psalm 116. He himself had been delivered from death. Not just physical death as he shared the gospel, but the death that we all will face. But he said, God, you have delivered me from death. Death has no power over me anymore because of the gospel. And in Psalm 116, he quotes verse 10 where David said, I believed 
Therefore, I spoke. Paul seizes on this statement and he says, in the same way that the psalmist faced great affliction, even to the point of staring death in the face, and yet nevertheless went on speaking truth, speaking what he believed. Paul is saying that this saving power The same power that saved David is the same power that he knows to be true and then he believes. David, just as David is anchored by his faith in God, Paul is saying at the same time, he's saying, I have that same anchoring faith, this unwavering faith that my soul and my life is anchored to. And because it's anchored to that, it doesn't matter what is happening in my life. I fear God and I don't fear man. What can man do to me? So also, Paul here has that same spirit of robust, enduring, durable faith in which the Holy Spirit brings to life his very soul. And you know what it causes him to do? To proclaim a real belief. Have you ever noticed that during time of hardship, I've watched members of our church just this month as I had tears in my eyes to see them proclaim the gospel in the midst of their affliction. It was such a joy as a pastor. If you really are anchored to this faith, do you see the natural outcome? I love the simplicity of what Paul is saying Paul is, Paul is saying, you are being, we are being put to death all day long. We are like sheep that has been led to slaughter every day because of our testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you find the endurance to go on sharing the gospel in the midst of this kind of opposition? And he says, Paul says, because I believe it. Because it's true. It's just not something that I like. Have you ever had something you like versus something you believe in? Right? I believed I was going to win my track races in high school. So I ran. When I no longer believed it, I did not run. (laughs) Right? I didn't like running. I did not like track. I ran it because I believed I was going to win. And most of the time I did until a few injuries later. God knocked me down a peg. (laughs) My body cracked. My vessel cracked. I did not like it. There's so many things that we stop doing in the church. I'm not talking about the building. I'm not talking about, you know, playing music or praying or reading the scripture. I'm talking about fellowship and worshiping and glorifying God, knowing God. Loving God, pursuing God, realizing who God is. We stop liking something because we have experienced something we don't like. And we find out who really has put their belief in the gospel, in God, and those who just like something about the church body. But he's saying, Paul is saying, Because I believe it, because it's true, God himself really has become 
a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus really did bear the fullness of God's wrath on the cross as a propitiation for our sins. He really died, did rise from the grave three days later, and he really is willing to freely forgive all those who repent and trust in him alone for his righteousness. Not just any righteousness, the righteousness. I believe that message. What else can I do but proclaim the grace of God of Christ? In verse 6, we read it earlier of our text. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out in darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the glory of God shines bright. You see, a sincere, real faith in the gospel, believing faith, cannot help but issue a proclamation to proclaim the gospel. I know I love little babies, and I'm not shy about it, right? I hate it when people get upset for babies crying. That's just their nature, <laughs> right? I love it. I love babies. I love it when our, our pigs have babies. My daughter bought a little, a little dog, her first little puppy that she bought, and it's precious and evil all at the same time. <laughs> you know, you love it one minute, you hate it the next. It finds things to chew on, Right? But isn't that like our sinful nature that God died for? Our sinful nature is, is dreaded. It's, hate. It's, it's filled with hate. It's filled with ugliness. It's filled with shame. It's filled with guilt. But then the gospel comes in. We see this illustration over and over in the, in the Bible in the Gospel of John, John the Baptist was proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes away our sin. Andrew, one of the disciples, right? One of John's disciples began following Jesus. And after spending the rest of the day with Jesus and hearing Jesus teach, Andrew believed that he had found the Messiah. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew is like, this is the Messiah. John 1, 41. He found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, Andrew said to Simon, his brother, we have found the Messiah. Andrew believed and therefore he spoke. Verse 43, it says that the next day Jesus went into Galilee and he found Philip. And he called to Philip to follow him. And Philip believed him as well. And look at his immediate reaction in verse 45. It says, Philip found Nathanael and he said to him, We have found him, him on whom Moses wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. You see the reflex action? They believed the gospel. They see the Messiah. They beheld him and they spoke. In our text and 2 Corinthians 4, you see the powerful, in the midst of persecution, the gospel, he says, 
I believe, therefore I spoke, and we also believe, therefore we also speak. Acts chapter 4, as the Sanhedrin persecuted Peter and John, and they persecuted him and told him to stop preaching in the name of Christ. But Peter and John answered them saying in verse 19, he said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. The Apostle John would later, in the opening verses of his first epistle, in 1 John 1, verses 1 and 3, he says, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what, we, what we've experienced, what we know to be true, what we have looked on and touched with our hands, what, in verse 3, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you. When we realize that we are just, guys, when we realize our real state, that we're just broken vessels, the world in which we live in is broken vessels. When we have a proper outlook, the gospel glows brighter. We have a sincere, when we really believe the gospel, it changes us. We talk differently. When you believe wholeheartedly in something, you proclaim it. Dear friends, this is the full picture of a faithful believer. No wonder Paul said, woe is me. For I do not preach, woe me if I do not preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He said, man, if I don't preach the gospel, woe, downcast is my spirit if I don't preach the gospel. All of us are proclaimers of the gospel. Charles Hodge said this, speaking is represented as the effect and proof of faith. Another commentator wrote, the gospel is not some abstract theory that cannot be accepted and hidden away in the heart. It requires proclamation. Our life is a proclamation of the gospel. Guys, don't underestimate the gospel. Don't overestimate your life. The more you proclaim the gospel, the more it deals with all of the hurts of this world. The more you try to magnify and seal up all the cracks of your life so that way you look better, the less power of the gospel is revealed. Paul writes, So we believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he was He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with Jesus and will present us to Jesus. You know, this is amazing. But this is a sure confidence in the rest. Do you believe that one day he's coming back for you? Do you believe that he's conquered death and when you die, you'll be in the presence of the Lord? That belief is only given to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you have a sure confidence? Some of us act like we have a sure confidence when we go out and start our car, right? You expect it to turn on. More than once have I gone out and click. (laughs) Yeah, we went through a period of time when all our kids liked keys. 
Praise the Lord, that time has came to an end. I think I've ruined three different batteries. Well, I didn't ruin them, but I think our, we went through three different batteries. We're still, but the, yeah, you, you expect it. You know how you feel when you expect something and it doesn't happen? Why do we keep expecting to find happiness in this world? Give me Jesus. We sang that song. Do you believe it? Forget this world. Give me Jesus. Do you want the gospel to continue to endure and grow? Then give me Jesus. When you wake up in the morning, what do you want? A world that's filled with cracks or Jesus? Paul had a sure confidence in Jesus. Do you see that? He says in verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. A sure confidence in the resurrection will make the gospel flow. We will see people come to the Lord. When you have a sure confidence in something, I can't tell you, my, my wife wanted to become more healthy when I started having tons of health problems because of my autoimmune disease and my, my thyroid problem I had because we didn't know what it was, and she was trying to figure that out. And so she started getting into the essential oils, but it was costly. So she became a distributor to cut down the cost because we get tons of freebies. But as a distributor, you had the license to sell essential oils, and most people do that to sell them. So we went through that process and all that, but my wife would never really sell. That was never her goal. It was just so we could get the freebies. <laughs> and so uh, we would buy stuff, and we'd get the freebies. And, you know, what's funny was is she would never really sell the oils. But I'd be going around, and people are like, well, Pastor, how, how did you deal with this? And I said, oh, well, let me tell you, there's an oil. <laughs> They're like, oh, well, you had this? And how did you, did you take some medicine? For, no, there's this oil. And I'd be going around, and I, I, would, I was so skeptical. But I started reading up on it, and I started taking the oils, and I was getting better. They gave me this synthetic medicine for my thyroid. And I tell you, still to this day, it doesn't cut it. It only lasts for, so I take oil. Just pure oil that God created. And it works. I know it to be true. And I've, I can't tell you how much essential oils I have sold. <laughs> A couple of people have become distributors because of me. Because I'm like, It works. And they're like, oh, he's a pastor. He, he, he must be telling the truth. I look at all these pastors that are on TV, and I was like, How, why would you believe any pastor? Don't believe me. Believe what God is saying. If God raises Jesus, then he's going to raise you. Stop. I mean, why? If people believe me about oil... Why not believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? One day, his blood applied, not just some, some oil, but his blood applied will mean eternal glory. What do you believe in? You could translate verse 14 this way. It says, we believe, therefore we speak because we know. We know. Now, we, we learn, what we learn in verse 13 has granted us 
is the grounds to speak what we believe. I speak because I believe, but we have learned that the, the ground for believing is knowing something. I, be, I speak because I believe, and I believe because I know, is what Paul is saying. I want you to notice this connection between faith and knowledge. Faith is not opposed to knowledge. Faith is not what takes over when we run out of knowledge. Like, well, I don't know that. I just believe it. No, that is not the biblical notion of faith. That is the pagan, secular, humanist redefinition that can see, you know, conceives of faith as some part of leap in the dark, right? They add that to verses 16 and 18. But that's not true. They redefine it. And so far from it, this is so far from being an alternative to knowledge. True faith is based on knowledge. It is its sure and solid foundation in the knowledge of the truth. And so it is the key because it is the way to fuel your speaking, the way to fuel the gospel in your life, to speak the gospel, to live the gospel, to be held together in our life by the gospel when we're struggling. We live a hard life. Hard is not bad. It's just hard. And that's why we need the gospel. Knowing the truth is the foundation for believing the truth. And believing the truth is expressed in speaking the truth. Right? Why do we have this truth and knowledge? Well, go back. We keep going back to verse 6. We read verses 7 through, through 18, but look at verse 6 again in 2 Corinthians 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. God said, let there be light, the creator, right? Has sh- this creator, this light out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, hey, look, you've been given the Spirit of God in your life to shine out in darkness. So this, we've been given the knowledge that we need. So what particular truth does Paul know that strengthens his faith, which, turns, which in turn strengthens his resolve to go on ministering and following the gospel in the midst of affliction? The answer is this. He knows. He knows. He knows he will be resurrected from the dead. He knows. He believes. He has faith because God has shown it into us. When we care so much about this earthen vessel, we get so caught up in the earthen vessel and what's going on around us, the gospel goes dim. And we forget what we know. We forget what we know to be true. Don't forget a sure confidence in the resurrection, but a deep satisfaction in the glory of God. I love how precious this is when Paul is saying, well, first of all, I believe the gospel, so I've got to speak the gospel. So I, so I know that even in death, That is coming, even if I lose my life 
for the sake of ministering the gospel, I know that God will raise me from the dead. The very worst that they can do to me is take my life, but I have a Savior who is himself the resurrection and the life. How precious is that? Victory in the Christian life is having such a sure confidence in our future, our future resurrection, that you are free from the bondage of fear of death and therefore willing and eagerly laying down your life in sacrificial sacrificial service in the cause for the gospel ministry. What do we have to lose? We act like we have everything to lose in the world. So much worry and fear and pain that actually we stir up because we care about something that will not last. 1 Corinthians 6.14 Now God has not only raised the Lord, but also raised us up through his power. You see, the resurrection of Christ is God's own pledge that he raised Jesus, that's his promise, his pledge of the resurrection of his people. Our resurrection is as sure and certain as Christ's resurrection. That brings a satisfaction, a deep, deep love and abiding contentment to glorify God. Paul is saying, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spread to you more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. This is a precious truth. Paul's life of ministry was entirely oriented towards the benefit of God's people. It was totally oriented about sharing the glory of God. It was the motivation for loving the church. He, the more the gospel lived in his life, the more he spoke it, the more sure he was about the knowledge of God, the trust of God, the more sure he was of the truth of God, the more loving he became for the glory of God, for the church. We share the gospel. They say that evangelism, or we preach the gospel. We encourage people to f- seek forgiveness of their sins in Christ, to turn people into worshipers of God, to share in the glory of God, to worship Him. We serve the church, we live the life together, and we fight sin in one another. We add higher strains, <laughs> strains to the chorus of God's praise. And if this is the case, I don't care what Satan in this world throws at me. Just give me Jesus. I'm in. You know, the, if you've watched football, you know, most football teams, they have this sign above the door when you walk out. If you, it's, you know, on the outside, if you go to, uh, I just drew a blank. Ugh. If you go to the, the Booze's Garage, <laughs> you, st- you, you got to tap, I'm in. I'm all in. If you don't, you pay the price. <laughs> I don't care what Satan throws me. I'm all in because I know 
I have Christ. I'm already to, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die daily to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of the faith of God's people for God to spend and to be spent for souls, to be slaves of all. A deep satisfaction in the gospel and glory of God. Are you deeply satisfied and praising God? Did you notice that? Look at the sandwich of verses 13 through 15. We are nothing. God is everything. And the gospel is in between. We just need Jesus, guys. But you need to make sure and tell people what that is. I asked somebody a few months ago, do you know why you need Jesus? And he goes, you know, I've heard that a lot. But no, I don't know why I need him. (laughs) So let me tell you. And he received Christ. Some of you have been praying for him for 23 years to receive Christ. And all I had to do was ask him, do you know why you need Jesus? And he melted. Are you ready to just stop living in the shame of the gospel and live in the glory of the gospel? You guys, the gospel needs to continue to be poured out daily. We are dying to our weakness only to receive all of the glory of God burning bright in our life. Are you burning bright for the gospel? Can you truly say in the morning, give me Jesus. I don't care what the world has to offer. Give me Jesus. I don't care what Satan can do me. Give me Jesus. Cling to Jesus. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your ever-present help in the time of need. No matter what, give me Jesus. Cling to him. Because a rock will not be moved. He who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. Do you believe it? Are you sure? How do we endure all the things that we will endure as a followers of Christ? Give me Jesus every day. The glory of God. Let's proclaim the gospel. Do you believe it? Then proclaim it. Some of us are better at it and more natural than others. That's okay. But fall in love with Jesus. He is the one who fills the cracks. Let that shine through. Don't try to fill it with the world. Are you trying to fill your cracks with the world? Or are you letting Jesus pour out of those cracks? Let's be broken and let the gospel shine forth. The glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. There's just so much more I I would love to share for more time later on down the road. I am so thankful for the power of the gospel. May it live within this body. May it shine forth as we continue to crack daily with struggles, hardships, persecution. But Lord, may your love, the true love, the fact that you stood and and Jesus, you took the, the weight of sin, the wrath of God upon all. You took it to the cross and you rose again that we too can raise with you. May Lord, that fuel every morning as we wake up and we have to step foot out into this cruel world. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.